So good to be back with you all. Uh, I'm really excited for you to meet Simon. Uh, he's the guy who I met in 2009 when a chance meeting, like all good things that God does, seemed random at the time. And that chance meeting in 45 minutes over coffee uh, changed the trajectory of my life. So I want to bring you into that meeting and tell you a little bit about this big idea that Simon shared with me called gospel patronage, which he'll say patronage, but the right way is patronage. And um, in, just introduce you to a really, really dear friend of mine and a, a partner in the gospel. So Simon, before we get into that meeting, tell us a little bit about your background, what, how you've come to this point. Sure, John. Um, before I start, just it's, been, it's wonderful to be here. Uh, thank you very much for, uh, for having me. It's just uh, amazing to see all these people uh, here to celebrate uh, the gospel, to celebrate the way in which uh, the gospel has transfer transformed uh, your view of uh, how you should uh, deal with the things that God has gifted you. That's fantastic, and it's great to be here with a dear, dear friend. Six years now, but it, uh, it's been a wonderful friendship. My background, as you can hear, um, I'm from the UK originally, uh, born in Scotland, uh, grew up in a naval family, a God-fearing family, um, went to school, went off to boarding school at the age of nine. Um, I uh, did engineering in my undergraduate studies. Uh, I became a Christian uh, at university. Uh, I then moved away from the UK. I lived in the Netherlands for four years. I worked as an engineer for uh, Shell. Uh, I then went off to business school, which is what uh, brought me to the United States uh, in 1986. Um, did a couple of years at, uh, at business school, stayed on in the US then. I lived in Los Angeles after that. I went into consulting post-business school. Uh, I then moved to Australia in uh, 1991, and Australia has really become a second home for me. Uh, only recently has my family relocated uh, back to the UK, so 24-odd years uh, in Australia. Uh, I had a, a period in between there where I was in Singapore, uh, 95 to 97. And then when I got back uh, from Singapore in 97, I was in consulting at the time. I was working for a firm called uh, Bain & Company, which those of you who are in business uh, may have heard of. Um, and th two of my partners and I had the opportunity in 1997 to, uh, to do something quite different, uh, to step out of consulting and to establish a private equity firm, really the first firm of its kind uh, in Australia. Uh, so that's what we did in uh, 1997. That's now 16, 17 years ago. Uh, it's been a fantastic journey. Uh, and that's sort of what has brought me to, to where I am today. But that transition to <clears throat> uh, equity wasn't as smooth as you might make it seem. There was some wrestling. There's a, a period of, of a transition, a turning point, an inflection point in your life. Tell us what, what that was about and what God did there. Yeah, when I came back from Singapore in, in 1997, um, I really felt this was a time uh, in my life where sort of God was laying open a, uh, an alternative path um, that I felt uh, I should think about, pray about, make some decisions on. And that was the opportunity at that time. I was, where, what was I, 97, I was 36. Um, to, to go into full-time um, full gospel ministry. I was coming back uh, from having spent 10 years in the consulting business. Here was an option of going down the path, staying in the sort of commercial world, but setting up a new business. Uh, that was one option, but the other option that was laid open was the possibility of going into full-time uh, gospel ministry. Um, and so in, in that, that period, I sort of, about over a period of about nine months, 
Uh, I spent time thinking that through. I went to a conference which was set up to uh, help folk like myself think through whether, whether full-time ministry was for them. Uh, I sought the counsel of, uh, of wise saints. Uh, and through that period, um, came to the conclusion that actually that wasn't right for me. Um, and uh, that I would continue down the path of remaining in, uh, in, a, in the commercial world and go down this path of uh, setting up a new, uh, a new business. And one of those wise saints who, uh, who uh, was, was so helpful uh, in that decision process, when I, I told him that this was the decision uh, that I'd taken not to go down that path but to stay in the, uh, in the commercial sector, uh, said to me, brother, um, that, in many respects, is a more difficult and challenging path that you're going down. Um, one of the things that you must do is find brothers who will keep you accountable. Because if, God willing, the path that you're going down um, is a successful path, you will need brothers uh, to keep you uh, on the straight and narrow. And in particular, to think about uh, how you... Uh, deal with some of the success that, that, that may come your way, which was uh, a wonderful piece of advice and a piece of advice uh, that I've kept with me for all of those years. One of the other things that he did, uh, which was, again, uh, in hindsight, a, a, a terrific, terrifically wise thing, was that uh, he and, a, and a, a colleague of his, both of whom I'd, uh, I'd been speaking to through this uh, period of decision-making, asked me if I would get involved with the ministry that they had been involved in at that point already for about 12 years, which was the raising up of young men and women as gospel workers, uh, a thing called the Ministry Training Strategy in Australia. Um, the idea of, of people making the decision to go into full-time ministry, but taking two years of apprenticeship uh, in a ministry, in a church, in a parachurch ministry, to be trained up but also to make a decision as to whether full-time ministry was for them. And they'd reached a point in this ministry where they felt, we really want somebody to help us think through the next stage of growth. Uh, and so that's one of the, the first things that I did, having made this decision not to go into full-time ministry myself. I worked with Philip and with Colin uh, to think through a strategy for MTS to take it to another level uh, of productiveness. So that was, that was the decision point in the transition that I went through in 98. So it was a ministry that didn't just ask for a check. Yeah, that's so right. That's a that, that, that came later. <laughs> that came later. So of course, you know, having worked out this growth strategy, and I don't know if this was in the back of their minds when, my, when they asked me, but of course, having worked out this growth strategy, what became very clear was that if this ministry was going to grow and flourish and, uh, and raise up thousands of gospel workers, mm. it was going to need funding. Uh, and that was the beginning of the next part of uh, a very important journey. Um, if you think about apprentice, apprentice training, someone comes in, they're apprentice for two years, they then go off to Bible college, they then come out the back end. And it's a period of about six or seven years from the point that they come in to when they're then training the next generation. So it's a long-term work, it's a long-term commitment that uh, this ministry is making uh, to individuals. And what we wanted to do was put in place a long-term strategic uh, funding plan for this. And, and that was the beginning of something that came to be known as Gospel Patrons Society, GPS. And what we did over the next several years was we raised up uh, about 45 Gospel Patrons who, uh, who, uh, who, who were moved to support that ministry in a very strategic way, very significant sums over a long period of time. 
And praise to the Lord, uh, over uh, the last 16, 17 years, about $5 million has been contributed through those GPS patrons. Uh, over 2,500 apprentices have been trained and raised up and sent out into, into gospel work. But one of the things that's perhaps even more um, wonderful to see is that, that amongst those patrons, there are those who have, have committed themselves to the ministry with more than just dollars. They've gotten involved with the ministry personally, mentoring, supporting in all sorts of different ways, marketing and so on, giving of their self and of their time. Mm. And there are those who have followed some of those apprentices from the apprenticeship through college out into their own ministries and are supporting them today. You know, a journey of relationship, a journey of support, standing with as well as behind from a financial perspective. So it's been a, it's been a great experience and it's helped me and my wife start to shape in a better way our own understanding of gospel patronage and how we, in our own way, uh, can be uh, more effective with what the Lord has given us. So Simon began to share a bit of his story. We had a mutual friend from India who said, you've got to go to Sydney and ask this man about gospel patronage. I said, I don't even know what that is. He said, don't worry, just ask him. So he said yes to a 29-year-old guy from California in jeans and a sweatshirt. We get together for coffee, and he's in a suit. He orders coffee. I get a hot chocolate. I don't know why he said yes to get together with us, but he shares about this idea of gospel patronage. And what did you say? I, I just said, Simon, I don't even know what gospel patronage is. Uh, can you unpack that a little bit for me? And you did, and what'd you say? Well, well I think through this period, since sort of from between 1998 and 2009, as, as I said, th th there had been a journey for myself and, and my wife, Rebecca. Um, and, and where it had reached by the time uh, I met with John was uh, we, we had developed a, a, a thesis, if you like, which is, when you look into the history of the church and, and when you see those points in history where the gospel has moved significantly forward, what you always see is that God has raised up uh, men and women who have been particularly gifted uh, to drive those big surges, those big movements in church history. But what's really interesting for us in this environment is when you drill even further what you find is, in every instance, behind and with those people has been a patron or patrons who have supported them uh, in more ways than just money. And when we, when, we, when we look further at that, we realize that there were some particular marks of those patrons, and it's helped us as we've thought about our own journey of patronage. Um, Shall I carry on and yeah? Uh, yeah. Tell us the so, marks. you know, I think first and foremost, when you look at these these patrons, uh, and this is the greatest challenge for us all, the thing that absolutely suffuses their life is the Lord Jesus. You know, these these patrons, be they uh, you know, be they wealthy merchants, be they nobility of England, be they successful business people of one form or another, uh, what comes through when you read about them is that they understand, despite all of that worldly success, that they are simply broken sinners who need a saviour. Mm -hmm. uh, and they have found the Lord Jesus and their life is wrapped up in him. Mm -hmm. And that in turn has led to the shape of their patronage being 
uh, a recognition that, that their priority is the proclamation of the gospel to a broken world, a world that is so in need of a savior. Mm -hmm. uh, and so their focus is on, is on the word, is on the proclamation of the word. The second, I think, which they, they take from understanding the nature of their Lord and savior is that their patronage is deeply relational. And so it's standing with, standing alongside, not just behind, but with the people that they're supporting in every way, prayerfully. In one case, William Tyndale, Humphrey Monmouth. Monmouth went to the Tower of London for a year, for a year, because of his deep and profound relationship with Tyndale. And, and in, 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 in hand with that is then the sacrifice of their patronage, uh, their time, their money, their reputations. And so those three things, the, the focus of, of, of word and proclamation, the deeply relational nation, uh, relationship, and mm. then also the sacrifice. And those, those were the things that you know, we discussed, mm. uh, and you then went on to, you know, to, to write the book. Mm. Let me turn the, turn the tables on oh, you oh, and oh. ask you the question. John then went on, 2009, uh, for the next four or five years, researching, traveling, getting deeply embedded, becoming deep friends with, with three patrons. Uh, uh, that uh, he decided to write about. John, give us one key thing, one nugget for you that came out of that work. Can I quote my own book? <laughs> Absolutely. One of the patrons was a man named John Thornton, and he was sort of the grandfather to the Clapham sect, William Wilberforce, John Newton, the abolition of the slave trade, the spread of the gospel throughout England. And when Thornton died, four men, uh, he was so invested in gospel ministry that four men preached sermons in his honor that day um, in their churches. And one of them uh, said this about Thornton, doing good was the great business of his life. And by doing good, they meant alleviating suffering and spreading the gospel. Doing good was the great business of his life and may more properly be said to have been his occupation than even his mercantile engagements. Thornton was the wealthiest merchant in England in his day. Think Bill Gates, but a believer and in England. That was Thornton in his day. And yet this, this preacher said, but his main occupation was spreading the gospel. That's what he lived for. That's what he breathed for. I've just been passionate as I've been able to write these stories, share these stories, spread these stories. Uh, to raise up a new generation, an, an army of gospel patrons who live for one thing, and it's to make Jesus Christ known among all the peoples of the earth through the gifts and calling that they have. Some will be missionaries, some will be preachers, some will be Bible translators, and many will be gospel patrons sending those people out. And I've been captured by that idea and desirous to spread it to the ends of the earth. Thank you. Last thing. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Where's the future of gospel patrons? What, what is it like to become a gospel patron? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you, uh, you mentioned John Thornton. I think for John, for, for those of us in this room, I'm sure many of us are, are uh, business people. And, and I think Thornton as a patron, for me, has always been a bit of a hero. Um, you know, John uh, just quoted there from uh, folk who, quote, who, who preached at, at his funeral. Um, and, you know, I think, I think the, the things about Thornton that uh, I can relate to and I think many of us can relate to is, is the fact that he was 
he was a business person. He was strategic uh, in the way that he thought about his patronage. He's best known, and John brings it out in the book, for his support of uh, John Newton. Um, but he also supported many other men uh, with gospel ministry. He supported another man called William Bull, uh, who established a theological college uh, in England. Uh, Thornton uh, also uh, bought what was called the livings of a number of churches uh, in England. Um, and the men who were coming out of Bull's theological college found their way into pulpits around England that Thornton had been able to buy, and thereby those, those pulpits were converted back into gospel-proclaiming biblical pulpits. Uh, and it was, a, it was a model, it was a pattern that was set for many to come. So many of you will have heard of Charles Simeon and the Simeon Trust. Well, the Simeon Trust was largely modeled on what Thornton had been doing. Thornton is also one could say, actually responsible for perhaps us being here today. Together with Selina, Countess of Huntingdon, who was the supporter of George Whitfield, the two of them, in their own way, under, the, under God, were responsible for the evangelical revival in Great Britain, which led from a handful of pulpits in Britain in the mid-1800s. Within a 100 years, 25% of pulpits in the United Kingdom preaching faithfully from the Bible. A handful to 25% of all pulpits in England preaching the Bible. And the evangelical revival in Britain, subsequently, as you will be aware, through people like Whitfield, became the Great Awakening in North America. One of Whitfield's, uh, one of Thornton's friends was the Earl of Dartmouth. The Earl of Dartmouth converted through the ministry of George Whitfield and Lady Huntingdon. And together, Thornton and Dartmouth were responsible for ensuring that the chaplains who got on those ships to go to the colonies of Australia and the colonies of North America were evangelicals. And so the strategic work that happened through people like John Thornton and Selina Countess of Huntingdon, and before that, uh, a singular moment in the life of John Thornton where he decided that he would jump on a horse and go and listen to this little-known preacher called John Newton, 30 miles out of London. And, and, and a single moment, a single uh, thought, a single idea that had been planted in his head by God to go and to listen to this man. And the fruit in generations, hundreds of years on, that we're benefiting from today. So Thornton was strategic. He was a businessman. He was strategic. But above all, he loved the Lord Jesus with all of his life and with his, all of his heart. And so, John, you ask about where we are in the journey. We're perhaps through the introduction, maybe chapter one. I think uh, over these last few years as we've traveled together and we've talked the, through the idea of gospel patronage, it's informed Rebecca and me in an incredibly helpful and challenging way. Do I really love the Lord Jesus as much as that? And if I don't, why not? And what does that then mean for how we think about our patronage and our use of what the Lord has given us going forward? So it's an ongoing journey. You know, as I said, we're through the introduction, maybe chapter one. But we're, we're both challenged and incredibly excited 
uh, about how this unfolding understanding of how just a single ripple in history, a single ripple in time can affect the future and how we can be part of that. So that's what we're excited about. How about you? Well, we would love to talk with you guys further. Uh, don't want to take too much time, but we'll be here hanging out this weekend. If you want to just ask questions, um, dialogue with us, we'll be here. We'd love to share more, but thanks for giving us your time with gospel patronage.